We've titled the series, Back to the Basics. And uh, it's the building blocks to living well. And uh, I take it out of Second uh, Peter here, verse 4 or 5, where it talks about um, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Building blocks to living well. Today we want to look at the building blocks of goodness, knowledge, and self-control. So take your Bibles, stand with me. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I told you a couple of weeks ago that <clears throat> for a while, this, these first six or seven verses are going to be our main text because we're going to just, we're just going to, we're going to take every bit of meat off of that bone here, okay? And there's still a lot of meat here to, to devour <clears throat> in the next few weeks. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. So His divine power has giving, uh, given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in, in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. We're going to stop right there. Father, we thank You for Your Word, that Your Word is alive and powerful. It changes us. It challenges us. It quickens us. It brings faith into our lives because Your Word says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So as we open up Your Word today to continue this series, may You open up to us these building blocks that we can continue to add into our lives so that we can be that well-rounded Christian that's living a life well. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> Building blocks to living well. Last week we talked about the most important or the foundational building block of them all, and that is faith. And we said this last week, as you see the slide that's up there right now. We said that the faith that we have is a saving faith. One of the things we talked about today in Sunday school is that that saving faith is in a person, Jesus Christ. A lot of people talk about, you know, their faith means so much to them. But sometimes people are talking about a generic faith or a man-made faith or a religious system. But we who are Christians don't follow a religious system. We follow a person, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. And so our faith is in the God-man, Jesus Christ. So our faith is a saving faith. And then we said that we have a new and powerful divine nature, a godly nature that God has given us to live different, to live victorious over our sins, and even... When we do sin, we can get back on track and live for Him. Number three, we said we no longer live for the evil and corrupt world. 
I think that's why we battle sometimes. I think that's why sometimes we have moments in our life where we fail because we care and because we're in this battle and, and, and we're trying to live for Christ and we're trying to put our faith and trust in Him. And sometimes we're just trying so hard. And Sometimes that's the problem. We're trying on our own. But we're giving it everything that we have. And that's a sign. That God has done something in your heart because you don't want to live for the corrupt world anymore. And then number four, we said last week, it is on this foundation that we build a well-lived life on saving faith, living a new life, living a strong life, the divine nature that we have in Him uh, in our lives and in our hearts. Now we can build a life. So let's start. Our first building block was faith, and we're going to continue today. But before we actually look at those three building blocks, I want to say this. Number one, the thing we need to realize is that our new birth is not the end. It's the beginning. We have to keep that in mind. Our new birth is not the end. It's the beginning. When we get saved, we don't come to a place and go, Oh, I'm saved. Now I can just chill out and relax. Oh, no, 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 my friend. You have now become part of the body of Christ. You are a Christian soldier. We have a hymn that's called Onward Christian Soldiers. I mean, we're to, we're to march into spiritual war. The, body, the Bible talks about the armor that we have for our, for our spiritual bodies. And we have the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. <clears throat> the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We, we have this armor, and none of it is to protect the back of the Christian. It's to protect the front. We are, we are soldiers taking ground that Satan has taken. And so, salvation, when you get saved and when you, when you have a saving faith, you're, uh, you're just starting out. It's the beginning. It's not the end. And you don't say, oh, I'm saved. And so now <clears throat> what I'd like to do is sit on my blessed assurance for the rest of my life. Uh, can, can, oh, you got it. Thank you. Uh, I don't know what's going on right now up here with this throat. It was good for a week until I started to preach. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> It's one of the bad dreams that I have, that it's my turn to stand up and speak. And all of a sudden, I get this scratchiness in my throat. And I'm talking like that, and I can't get it all out. And it's, I have this dream. Y'all ever have bad dreams about stuff like that? You can't do your job? So I want to read something to you out of the Bible Exposition Commentary by Warren Wiersbe. When he talks about our new birth is not the end. Where there is life... There must be growth. The new birth is not the end, it is the beginning. God gives His children all that they need to live godly lives, as we just read. But His children must apply themselves and be diligent to use the means of grace He has provided. Spiritual growth is not automatic. It requires cooperation with God and the application of spiritual diligence and discipline. The Bible says, work out your own salvation, for it is God which worketh in you. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. What it means is that after you become saved, you have to do your part to grow. Peter listed seven characteristics of a godly life that we're looking at here. 
But we must not think of them as seven beads on a string or even seven stages of development. The word translated add, meaning add to your life, really means to supply generously. Supply generously. So you're to supply to your faith generously these things that we're going to talk about. In other words, we develop one quality as we exercise another quality. These graces relate to each other the way the branch relates to the trunk and the twigs to the branch, like the fruit of the Spirit. These qualities grow out of life and out of a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not enough for the Christian to let go and let God as though spiritual growth were God's work alone. Literally, Peter wrote, make every effort to bring alongside the father and the child must work together. The child and the father must work together. So the point here is this. Our new birth is not the end of something. It is the beginning of being the man or the woman that God wants you to be. And it's a process. And it requires both what God does in your heart and what you do. It's a discipline. That's why the Scriptures talk about those who do these things will have this in their life. And it says it later in this passage. It says here... um, It says, for if you possess these qualities, in verse 8, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. It's possible to be a Christian and not have built upon the foundation on which Christ has built within your life. So it's possible to be a Christian and be saved, as the Bible says, by the skin of your teeth. It's possible to be a Christian and not grow and your growth be stunted. It's possible. Because there are some who are nearsighted, but there are those who are going to accept it and then they're going to begin to work on their own salvation and God will begin to do some things. So here's what we're to do. In growing, we're to add to our faith. The second thing here I want you to see is goodness. The Bible calls it goodness here in the NIV, New International Version. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And it's translated excellence or virtue. I don't know how many of you have in your, in your Bible, it says, add to your faith virtue. Anybody have that in theirs? How about in yours, does it say excellence? Add to your faith excellence. Anybody have that one? Okay. How many of you have goodness? All right. Anything else? What's another word? Anybody else? All right. So the Bible says to add to your faith goodness. It's a, it's a process. It's a building block. Excellence. <clears throat> the first quality of character Peter listed was goodness or virtue. This word we saw in in chapter uh, 1 here, verse 3, and it basically means excellence. The Greek, to the Greek philosophers, it meant the fulfillment of a thing. When anything in nature fulfills its purpose, that is virtuous or it has um, moral excellence. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for you? The Bible says, to him who knows to do good, in 1 John. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So the first thing when you become a Christian, 
You give your heart to Christ. You lay the foundation. Now the first thing you need to learn is goodness. What does it mean to do good? Well, what's the first thing we tell people to do after they get saved? To follow in believers what? Baptism. The Bible says that baptism is a good thing. It's the right thing. Goodness is obeying God. Goodness is saying, I want to be a new person in Christ. I want to have a life of virtue. I want to live an excellent life. An excellent life. I guess perhaps for me, that's why I struggle from time to time, is because I have this standard that I want to live by. And when God is doing His part, which He always does, and I'm doing my part the way God said to do it, excellence takes place. And there are times when obviously God's doing His part, but I fail to do my part. And it's not excellence, it's tragic, it's, it's sinful, it's what, what have you. And that's not good. You see what I'm saying? So, the first thing I want you to see is this. When you become a Christian, you get saved, you get a saving faith, and then you add to that faith, goodness, it's excellent. Excellent. Hey, when you live in life the right way and you're forgiving people, That's excellent, my friend. That's the way you're supposed to live. That's virtuous. That's a a moral, excellent thing to happen in your heart and my life. and uh, In your heart and your life and in my heart and my life. Number three, the building blocks here. We know it's the birth is not the end, it's the beginning. We are to add to that goodness. The third thing is we're to add knowledge. Now I want you to notice what I have in parentheses here practical living listen to this the word translated knowledge in second peter here means full knowledge or knowledge listen to this that is growing knowledge that is growing the word used here suggests practical knowledge or discernment it refers to the ability to handle life successfully To live life well. It is the opposite of being so heavenly minded as to be of no earthly good. This kind of knowledge does not come automatically. It comes from obedience to the will of God. In the Christian life, you must not separate the heart and the mind, character, and knowledge. In other words, the knowledge we're talking about here is not just knowledge about the Bible. Or knowledge about things to come. Or knowledge about this or that. This knowledge that the Bible talks about is actually taking the truth of God's Word and making it practical to your life. See, here's one of the things that I think people miss a lot. A lot of people think, now that I'm a Christian, I need to read my Bible so I can gain knowledge. And yes, that's important. That's important. It's important to know God's Word. Okay? But you're not gaining knowledge just so you can have a head full of knowledge in Scripture. You're gaining knowledge so that it will go to your feet, so that it will go to your hands, so that what you're, what you're studying and what you're learning about is, is um, 
translated into living and into how you live your life. It's practical. It can touch. You know, I try to preach in such a way that, that you not only get something, then something you learn maybe, but it's, it's got handles on it. The truth has handles that you can take it home with you, that you can put it in your heart. It's something you can take and say, hey, hey, I learned something today about how to live, how to apply it. That's what biblical truth does. And so, what we need to add to our faith is knowledge. Knowledge does. It doesn't just exist. It does. It does something with what it's learning. It's not enough just to know. Look, I'm going to tell you something that's very, very um, prevalent in our society among Christian, in Christian circles today. You can go to YouTube, you can Google it, you can do all what you want, and you can find you can find pastors or teachers or what have you that, man, they get stuck on one subject. And that their whole life and their whole ministry is about obtaining knowledge about this one subject. I and mean, we have a whole um, set of belief systems that that have developed because of a man's name. One is Calvinism. Another is Arminianism. Well, what are you, Pastor Corey? Well, first of all, I'm not a Calvinist, and I'm not an Arminianist. Arminian believed you can lose your salvation. Calvin believed that God chose some to be saved and some to be lost, which means that these little babies in our church that, that, that are here, that, that if they're not part of the elect and they die as little babies, they go to hell. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And my, my faith is not based on somebody's name. And so I don't, uh, my, my faith doesn't go through the lens of one particular belief system. I believe what the Word of God teaches that whosoever will may come. And there are people that will, that will go and teach this one subject. And boy, that's, that's all it is. There are some people that, that all they are is about marriage. All they want to teach on is marriage. That's it. I mean, there are a couple of pastors I know. We call them the marriage pastors. And if you go to their church, that's all they talk about is marriage. Now, it's important to talk about that from time to time. I know some churches that their pastors, man, they are, they're all big on leadership. All they ever teach is leadership. Some pastors, all they ever teach on is giving. The Bible says we need to preach the whole counsel of God. There are some pastors, all they want to talk about is the end times and trying to predict when Jesus is going to come back. And you know what? Nowhere in Scripture does it tell me that I should be looking into those things and trying to predict those things. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells me that I'm to be about the Great Commission. I'm to be about winning people to Christ and discipling them and baptizing them. In other words, the knowledge that the Bible talks about that you and I have to add to our life is practical. It helps us live out our life. It helps us to forgive somebody. It helps us to understand what to do when a loved one dies and how to deal with, with uh, bitterness and envy and anger and all of those things. That's the kind of knowledge that we need to add to our life. Not just knowledge about all these things. Oh, is it important to know about the end time? Sure it is. But let me just say this to you. As a Christian, it's fascinating. But once you get a picture of it and you learn it, it ought to do one thing for you as a Christian. 
It ought to cause you to live more for Christ, the fact that He's coming back. It ought to cause you to want to win as many people to Christ because He's coming back. It ought to get your legs moving. It ought to get your heart moving. It ought to get your tear ducts moving. It ought to get you to that place. It ought to get you involved in a church if, if those things are important, right? So knowledge is more than just knowing about one particular area of Scripture, one particular thing, one particular doctrine. No, it's about living out the Word of God in my life. It's practical living. That's what the Greek word here, knowledge, means. It's, it's, it's a growing knowledge that, that is evident in your heart and life in the way you live. All right, now, the Word of God gives us these. Now the Word of God's going to meddle with our lives. When I say that, I say that with all due respect and, and seriousness. But I love when the Word of God goes from just talking about some things that, that may be you know, hard for us to fully contemplate and understand. But this fourth thing that I'm going to show you here, well, you see it in the Word of God. It's self-control. I don't like talking about that one. See, God's Word goes to meddling when it makes us uncomfortable. When it makes us uncomfortable. It's the word temperance. Anybody see a word in there in that word temperance? Temper. I've had people tell me this, and if I had a nickel for everything, man, we, I'd never have to take up another, another offering. If, I, if we had a, a nickel for every time somebody told me and made an excuse for somebody else, with this excuse, we, we'd be set financially until Jesus comes. Well, pastor, that's just the way he is. He has a temper. Oh, Really? So what you're telling me is he's just like everybody else? I've never met a person that didn't have a temper. You have a temperament. We all have a nuclear button, don't we? If you don't believe me, remember when you were a kid and you were pestering mama or grandma? And mama has a button, and it's there. I think God put it in her. It's called the enough button. Mama has enough. And I, periodically when my kids were little, I would watch on Saturday sometimes the pestering and the begging that would go on from the kids. And I would laugh, and I'd just watch it. But mama, I want, and mama, and mama, and, and it was, no, you, you can't have that until you do it. But mama, what? And in a few minutes, mama, can I have, no, I said, you can't. And I'm like, man, she's patient, because my whole deal, you, you ask me one time, I tell you, no, that's it. If you ask me again, it's a butt whooping, okay? As simple as that. No grace there. Amen. We'll go from A to Z, just like that. But with mama, it's da, 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 da. but but all of a sudden you continue to do that, and mama's just doing her thing because she's busy with other things. And finally, at the about the sixty fifth time you asked, when the uh, enough button is pressed within her spirit, it's Katie bar the door. Even daddy's getting a whooping. <laughs> Everybody's getting it. And when mama would go, I've got enough, or it's 
it's enough, everybody. And when she'd say that, I'd be like, I'm like the little chihuahua. I'm like, I'm, I'm out of here. She goes, where are you going? I'm going to take out the trash, dear. I remember growing up when my little brother would just irritate my mama and she'd have enough and he'd get a spanking. Then for some reason, my sister was getting a spanking. I said, why are you spanking her? And she goes, well, she said something four days ago. And I went, holy cow, I said something six hours ago. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> enough. We all have that, that, that button, that, that, that temper. We can all lose it. All of us at some point. Some in different ways. It's the people that are quiet that look that everybody's oh he doesn't have a temper. Oh, oh he's got the worst one. You just don't know. Because when she blows, she blows. But the Bible says that as we grow, as we get into this new birth and we're saved, and we begin to grow and we have our faith and we have goodness. Now we've got knowledge. And now, we, now we, we know that we have to change and we have to apply this stuff to our lives. Then all of a sudden, God says, you've got to have some self-control. Look at what the Scripture says in Proverbs 16, verse 32, and then 25, 28. It says here, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control, than one who takes a city. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, I'm preaching right now to you. And I would imagine that if we said, Let's, I want you to open your heart up and tell us a time when you lost your mind or you lost your temper. I'll tell you what would happen. If we started with Brother Clinton here, I'll tell you. I'll tell you in a heartbeat what would happen. All of a sudden, everybody in the back rows would be, well, we, I got to go check on the roast. And we'd all start walking out one at a time because none of us would want to be put on the carpet to tell about our worst moment where we lost our control. But it happens. What we're talking about here is not that you're perfect and that you never lose control, but that as you grow, <clears throat> the things that in the past would set you off don't anymore. So you add because you know the Word of God and you know what it'll do if you lose control here. And you know that a person who has no self-control. But you see, this self-control is not just about getting angry. This has a lot to do with how you behave and the things that, 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 that tempt you. Now, I've made it clear to you in the last few weeks that I've started to eat differently. I haven't lost, I've lost one pound in two weeks. Wow, whoop-de-doo. <clears throat> I'm not at a point where I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to lose a lot of weight yet because I know for me that it's diet and exercise. And I haven't quite done the exercise part yet. I'm, 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 I'm working up to that. But I've been working a lot harder on my diet. And what I eat. Now, you say, what kind of diet you're on? Well, I've, all my life I've been on a diet. I've been on a seafood diet. I eat whatever I see. But um, that's so corny, I know. But um, the way, the, my whole deal is eating healthier. I feel better when I eat better. 
But within my diet, I allow myself to have a fat, juicy ribeye every now and then. Just not every night. Can't afford that. And I start eating better and eating cleaner is what I'm saying for me. And what it requires is a lot of self-control. One thing that I changed, and I've always said this, that one thing you have to do if you're going to change something in your life, you need, to, you need to change one thing you do daily. Just something. Just start there. And for me, it's starting every day with a protein smoothie drink. I just start it, do it, and drink it right there before I even have my coffee. And it, it, it has given me energy. It's helping me. Just one little thing. And it requires discipline. Let me tell you last night what happened. So I've been eating pretty good all week long. I, I, I failed on Friday night. My future son-in-law has got me hooked on this. He's a French fry nut. And so we got these bags of French fries now at our house in the freezer. And so, man, all I want some nights is just like about 10 pounds of French fries fried up with a lot of seasoning and ketchup on top. You say, what do you have with that? Nothing else, just that. Isn't that awesome? I failed Friday night. Okay? Not to say I can't eat it every now and then, but I shouldn't have eaten that. But listen, I had a great day yesterday. And what I was eating, ate a salad for supper. But about 9.30 or 10 o'clock, I wanted to eat 10 key lime pies. I wanted to eat cookies and cream bluebell ice cream. I wanted to eat the yogurt ice cream. I wanted to eat everything that was sweet. I had this, I didn't have a sweet tooth. I had a whole mouth full of sweet, a, a whole dental set. I mean, I was like, <laughs> and rather than going to those places that I know, I open the fridge and the first thing I see is cantaloupe. So I ate three pieces of cut-up cantaloupe, and I survived. I had a little bit of self-control. My flesh was saying, I want to eat good stuff. And cantaloupe's good, but not as good as ice cream. Not as good as Krispy Kreme. Ain't nothing as good as Krispy Kreme, sorry. And I had to exhibit some self-control in my life. And when I was getting ready to go to bed, I was doing this to myself. You did good, son. You did good. You had a little bit of self-control, man. A little bit of self-control. See, what I'm getting at is this. Is that when we have self-control, we deny ourselves some things that would otherwise hurt us or destroy us. Self-control. You're a married person? I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to tell you just straight up. Just straight up. It is not in your wheelhouse, and it's not in your heart, and it's not in your mind to be lusting after anybody else. Well, there ain't no law against looking, but there's a sin called looking, beyond looking. 
The Bible says if you look at a woman in your heart and you lust after her, guess what the Bible says you've done? You've committed adultery. There's a lot of things in life you have to have self-control with. Temperance. Add to your life self-control. I'm going to tell you out of all of these, this is probably the hardest for all of us. It's difficult, man. It's tough. I'm just going to tell you. So this is like our therapy group session that I'm having with you. Today, we're frying some fish. I hadn't eaten fried fish in about three months. I've been grilling my fish. I'll tell you why. Saints are playing for a chance to go to the Super Bowl today. And I'm, I'm going to eat some fried fish. But I've already determined how much I'm going to eat. And that's it. I already know this is what I'm going to eat. Because if I eat any more than that, it's not going to be good for me. I'm going to feel it. And I won't feel good. And I'll feel too greasy. <laughs> I, for me, I know my limit. And I know where my self-control starts and ends. See, that's how I apply it into my life. Okay? We have to have self-control. I've been told this many, many times too. Well, pastor, that's just the way he is, you know. Uh, He'll just tell you everything that's on his heart. Man, I don't think that's a virtuous thing. You don't want to know everything I'm thinking. I don't want to know everything you're thinking all the time, right? And so we have to show some self-control in what we say, what comes out of our mouth, what we put into our heart. What's going to help us with our self-control as to what comes out of the mouth is to be self-controlled in what we ingest spiritually, what we take in, what we see, the things that we allow into our heart and mind. So these are some building blocks. Let me give you one last thing, and then we're, we'll, we're done here. So here's the thing. When you do these things, faith results in spiritual growth, and spiritual growth changes how we live. Changes how we live. So back to the title, building blocks of living well. Faith results in spiritual growth, and spiritual growth changes how we live. See, God is not interested in just saving you. He's interested in changing you. God, when He finds you in in the muck and in the mire and in sin and in the cesspool of life, He doesn't just go, hey, my child, I forgive you. Now enjoy your time in the stinky pen. Nope. What God does is, God saves you. And He says, now here, my child, I'll clean you from the inside out. Now let me lift you up out of this mess, and let's get out of here. In other words, when Christ gets a hold of you, He never leaves you the way He found you. It's a growth process. And He changes you from the inside out to make you what He wants you to be. And that's why, my friend, sometimes when you fail, In these areas, it's difficult on you. You know why it's difficult? Because you're growing and you care. And it matters to you. 
And Christ lives within you. The growth process is not always easy. How many of you remember growing up when you were a, a, a teenager? I remember when I was about 12, 13 years old, man, I had these horrific growth pains in my knees. Anybody had some of that? Growing pains. I told my mom and daddy I had arthritis. I said, I got arthritis. They laughed at me. I said, I'm, I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know where. You know, and it was horrific pain. It was growing pains. My old Cajun grandpa that couldn't read said, that's growing pain, boy. No, he didn't say it like that. He goes, he said, hey, Papa told you that's some growing pains. Get over it. Be quiet. <laughs> that's the way he used to say it. Growing pains. If you're going to grow, it's going to get messy sometimes. But know this, that as you grow, and as you add to your faith some goodness, and as you add to your faith knowledge that's practical, man, let me tell you, it's going to start affecting how you respond and what you do with your body and what you do with your life and what you do with your heart and what you do with your eyes, what you read, what you watch, what you look at, what you consume, how you respond to people, what you do. In other words, faith leads to spiritual growth and spiritual growth leads to a change in your life listen we all love things that grow only thing I don't like that grows is weeds and I can I can even deal with the grass that grows as aggravating as it is late summer when it's raining and man it's just thick and it's I remember one time DJ and I were mowing together two different mowers and it's just like it, we're like, we need to mulch this up, and it, and it was wet, and it was, it was just like a mess, man. And uh, it looked like cottage cheese all over the place that was green, and, and, and it was growing. But, but, but I, I don't mind grass. It's all them weeds that grow, but, but for the most part, you love stuff that grow. Man, you love when you put a seed in the ground for a garden. Coach, you got a garden, don't you? Yeah, have you started yet? Yeah, God, man. Yeah, you got a greenhouse. We're in January, man. What, what, what have, you, have you planted anything already? What you planted? Uh, mustard and broccoli and uh, mustard, broccoli and... Oh, man, we got to eat healthy if we go to his place. Stra- strawberries, and- strawberries and all. So broccoli and all that. So you got to plant that. Now, now is, that, is that a winter? Uh, cabbage also. Cabbage, yeah, yeah. So. I call it a farm. I'm no farmer. <laughs> but, man, when you put that seed in the ground, I'll never forget the first time I actually did a garden on my own. I was living in Georgia in that red, rich dirt over there. And, man, we planted this big old garden. Next morning. Next morning. I want to see if it sprouted up yet. Penny's at the deck saying, Hey, yo-ho, it ain't, it, it ain't going to, you're not going to see it, man. It takes a few days. I'm like, well, I'm just checking, just checking. Next day, she goes, it's not, you're not going to see it. And, and, and I'd go start pitting with, she goes, leave it alone. It's trying to germinate. You're going to mess it up. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Man, one morning I woke up and I went, look. And I looked, and there down that road about this high, Green. It was my beans, man. The next day I came back, it was all gone. 
the deer had ate every one of them. That's when I became a deer hunter. You ever see what bucks do to trees? They destroy them. Kill a buck, save a tree. See? Anyway. But growth, growth, man. Watching that stuff grow. We all want to grow. Sometimes growing is painful. But it's worth it. It's worth it. That's how you have a well-lived life. Start building on this stuff. Add to it. You've got to do something about it. You've got to grow. You've got to open your Bible. You've got to come to church. You've got to get involved. You've got to care. You've got to want to grow. You can't just, just say, oh, that's all right. I'm going I'm to have a lustful mind. It don't matter. It don't hurt nobody. Man, you've got, you got to want to change. Listen, there have been times in my life, and it hasn't happened very often, but it's happened. When I've gotten to a place where God wanted to take me to a new level, it usually meant that I was going through some difficult things. And though mentally I was saying, I'm accepting this, on the inside I was fighting it tooth and nail because it hurt. Two times this happened in my life where it hurt so bad. And I wrestled with God so much. One time it was in my garage. You ever cried where you had more snot coming out of your nose than tears coming out of your eyes? That's happened to me. And you're broken before God. And that's kind of like I'm saying, okay. <laughs> you, I, I'm, I'm all in. I get it. It's almost like a cleansing that takes place. It, it's, it's hurtful. It's difficult. Whew. And then you wake up, and as you continue, and you wake up the next morning, you continue to grow and you continue to develop, and days and months go by, and, you, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, man, I've got more knowledge now because it's affecting the way I live. I am growing. Oh man, man, 10 years ago, that would have set me off. I'm growing. When you get to that place in your life, you're on your way to living well, living healthy, living strong. Church, I love you with all my heart. And I am preaching to you out of the depths of my life because it's difficult for me But I know this, that if you commit yourself to this, these principles and to these building blocks, biblically speaking, God will do something in you, and it's for the better, and it's for the good, and it's for His glory, and He'll use you, and He'll change people around you because of you. And you change you so that you can be an agent of change for somebody else. It's painful, but it's worth it. It's worth it.
For you, self-control might mean not going to jail today. (laughs) For others, it may mean being victorious in your spiritual life. Maybe not reading something that you've always read before that's toxic to your system. For others, it may mean self-control. just not saying what you really want to say because it might hurt somebody. I need to grow in that area. I want to be better at self-control. I hope you do too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that when you save us and change us, You don't leave us alone. We're not left empty-handed. Where we have to fend for ourselves. We have You. We have Your Holy Spirit. We have Your Word. And we know that You wanting to do a work in us is to bring glory to Yourself. We are thankful, God, that You don't leave us the way You found us. I pray for the person that's sitting here today that maybe they made a decision years ago or they claim to be a Christian, but their life has never changed. Could it be in their hearts that they've never been found? And they're still lost. I pray for that person that's struggling with that today. You're not the author of confusion. And You bring clarity when it comes to those areas. I pray for the Christian that has had tremendous victories in his or her life, but they've also had some setbacks. And they wonder, does God love me? Can God still use me? Can I grow in this area of knowledge and goodness and self-control? Is it too late for me? And God, we know it never is too late for them. I want to thank You for that, Jesus. That You love us so much. That You work in our hearts and lives. Church, God's speaking to you today. This altar will be open to you. I implore you, do business with God. Don't worry about anybody else. Never be ashamed. Come to Him for strength and power, and He'll give it to you. Let's stand together, everybody. Heavenly Father, we thank You. And we pray it all in Christ's name. This is our invitation. God can move mountains, and He'll move it in our hearts and in our lives. I don't know how God's spoken to you, but however He has, you have to do what He says. You trust Him. You go with it.